welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots you can make to get closer to a better future of work. Today, our guest is Dakota Palicki. He's a strategy officer for community mobilization at Lumina Foundation, and this episode is Work Minus Separation. Hi, Dakota. How are you? Doing well, Neil. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Let's just start off with Lumina Foundation, if people haven't heard of it. What is it and what do you do there? Lumina Foundation is a private foundation based in Indianapolis. Uh, we also have a small office out in Washington, D.C., uh, and we're unique in a couple of ways. Uh, first is we have one focus area, and that is learning after high school, um, post-secondary learning, learning after high school, however you want to phrase it. Uh, but it's, it's much more than just colleges and universities, but really looking at uh, what the nation needs to do to make sure we have the talent uh, that we have uh, for the future uh, of the workforce. Uh, the second thing uh, that makes us kind of unique is that we have a specific time-bound goal uh, of making sure that 60% of Americans uh, have a high-quality post-secondary credential uh, by 2025. Um, so uh, at our foundation, we have a number of areas um, that work to improve the learning ecosystem uh, for uh, Americans after high school. Uh, everything from federal policy and state policy to quality assurance to um, employer engagement. Uh, my role here at the foundation is focused on cross-sector um, uh, partnerships and collaboratives that work at the local or regional level uh, to improve the lives of uh, their own neighbors and, and, and residents. Um, so these are going to be uh, cross-sector collaborations of uh, colleges and universities, with employers, uh, with nonprofit providers and community-based organizations. Sometimes they're led by a United Way, sometimes by a Chamber of Commerce, sometimes by a university themselves or by an independent 501c3 organization. Uh, so I get to work with hundreds of communities around the country who are uh, working to improve the human condition. Now, I want to go back to something you said earlier about how you're looking for 60% of adults to have a high quality credential. Tell us how that differs from just saying, hey, we want to graduate from college. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's an important nuance. Um, you know, the fact is, is that really what matters is that everyone needs to get um, some kind of learning after high school. Uh, when we look at the projections for what the workforce needs, um, <clears throat> it's anticipated that over 60% of the workforce uh, will need some kind of learning beyond a high school diploma uh, in order to have a, have a job, uh, let alone a well-paying job and one that can lead uh, you know, a family to self-sufficiency. Um, so a high-quality credential uh, for us means basically two things. That one, um, that any learning that you get after high school can continue on to additional learning. We don't want a dead-end degree or, uh, or a dead-end credential that you might earn um, uh, that doesn't actually stack or lead into something else. Everyone needs to have a pathway in front of them so this way uh, they can continue to get more and more education as they move forward. The second part of that high quality piece is that it actually leads to good employment. And that one is a little bit stickier in terms of defining what we mean by good employment, uh, especially when you start talking about wages and the difference between wages around uh, you know, states and regions, et cetera. Uh, but you know, what we really know is that there's an awful lot of folks um, who uh, are still living well underneath the poverty line, uh, including those who have some post-secondary credentials. And so we're looking for uh, ensuring that Americans have a credential that allows them to truly participate in tomorrow's economy. All right, well, let's take another step back and talk about kind of today's world as a whole. I mean, 
when we look at the nature between work and education, there definitely seems to be some disconnect between what employers need and what skills people are coming out of high school with or even out of college with in some situations. Is that something that's that's kind of a recent phenomenon or has it been there for a long time? Can you take us to a time in history when it wasn't there? Yeah, I, you know, I think that it's, um, you know, it's a little bit of a both and the, 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 the blame game, if you will, <laughs> where we like to point the finger down the pipeline and say, well, you just didn't prepare them well enough. And we pointed out uh, employers will point at colleges or universities or technical colleges or other providers and say, well, you just really didn't prepare them. And, and they'll say, well, you know, the high school didn't prepare them. And then, and then we start looking at eighth grade algebra and saying, well, gosh, they weren't prepared then. And well, well, if they would have learned to read by third grade, well, if you would have went to pre-K, well, if we would have had better prenatal care, and then suddenly we wind back up at uh, blaming employers for, for not giving enough, um, you know, uh, to, to our doctors to do what they need to do. And so this blame game is is old, tried and true. But that's not to say that there wasn't uh, and hasn't been a, a great deal of collaboration between uh, employers and the education sector generally uh, over the course of our history. And in fact, uh, you know, you can find uh, technical colleges and polytechnic colleges, um, you know, as back as the as far back as the 18th century. Um, certainly, you know, around World War II, post-World War II, um, there was a greater connection between um, the higher ed marketplace, the education marketplace generally, and employers, uh, where uh, articulating the needs uh, and really coming together in partnership to make sure Americans had the skills and training they need for the jobs that we as a nation needed, uh, there is a high concentration at that time. Uh, but like all things, you know, they ebb and flow um, and they ebb and flow for policy reasons. They ebb and flow as new mandates come on the education sector, as new mandates come onto the business sector. They also ebb and flow because of our economy. Um, and as the shape of business changes, um, it sometimes and oftentimes will change at a more rapid pace than education uh, institutions can keep up with. Uh, and we see that a lot um, with the emergence of uh, certainly you know, technology broadly, uh, advanced manufacturing, uh, and a lot of these pockets where simply the needs of employers have uh, outpaced the uh, the need, uh, I'm sorry, the, um, the, the needs of employers have simply outpaced uh, what education providers have been providing them. Uh, that's not to say that education providers aren't trying to scramble to catch up, uh, but there's always an ebb and flow, a tension, uh, and then we have to respond to that tension. And there will be a new challenge up uh, as we get closer to automation and uh, the future of work conversations where additional tension will build, and we'll respond to that challenge when that time comes. Yeah, I mean, that's a great kind of historical overview of what we're talking about here, that there is that the disconnect, but it's not because anyone's trying to make it. It's because, you know, things change at different paces and it's hard to, to keep up with those things. Uh, when you look at how people are, are coming into the workplace, what are some of these uh, kind of across industry competencies that some people just, just haven't built up in high school or, or even in the college setting? You know, what we hear most of the time from employers, especially, um, you know, employers that were trying to get into this conversation for the first time, is that they'll say things like, well, you know, if we can just get someone to show up on time, you know, and be ready to work uh, and have some of these, you know, soft skills, you know, we, we can't get people to even write a good email or can't get people to show up on time. Um, 
and and I'm not saying those things aren't aren't true, uh, you know, or or aren't uh, important. They certainly are. But I also view that as you know, um, kind of step one, uh, and and oftentimes is a is kind of a pothole to these partnership discussions. Yes, people need soft skills, and uh, certainly our education providers, both in K twelve and in uh, post secondary. Uh, after high school uh, education providers are working on equipping students with those soft skills um, uh, and intellectual abilities uh, to be able to work in any environment. Um, but there are numerous of these uh, hard skills and knowledge and abilities, uh, competencies is another way to think about this, uh, that folks do need, adults and, and learners need to be able to participate in the workforce. The real challenge is that those are highly unique depending on which industry you're talking about. Uh, and that's just the fact of the matter. You know, uh, manufacturing, for example, um, you know, a, a lot of folks are going to need to know how to code, uh, <laughs> Uh, how to be able to work with computers, have good computer literacy in order to uh, continue operating even at an RV making facility, for example. Uh, in other instances, you know, we're really talking about uh, employers who have been used to being able to train up their own people on their own processes, on their own uh, knowledge and skills. Uh, and uh, really what we need to make sure people are, are leaving with is the ability to have transferability uh, between and among roles uh, within an organization or between and among roles um, within uh, or among uh, various employers. Uh, so really taking a look at the core competencies that uh, the jobs of today and tomorrow require uh, is really what we should be uh, talking about and focused on. So you talked about training up people, trying to, to get them at once they're in a job, even to continue to educate them. So just because it, it's so hard for some of our older and more established education systems to keep up with the pace, what is the approach for an employer? Should they try to partner with that education institution and inject some of these things to learn in, or should they just kind of create their own separate, you know, university or through internships or apprenticeships? What, what's the best practice for employers? Yeah, the best practice uh, is is to partner. Um, as, as arduous as that might sound to some folks and saying, gosh, you know, we just don't have the time. We don't have the time, uh, you know, make the time to partner because that's going to be a, a long-term sustainable solution. We have seen, um, many large employers, folks, you know, uh, employers like Amazon, Walmart, Discover Financial, who have done this well, who have created effective partnerships with providers, uh, and multiple providers, not just one, uh, but, you know, uh, ensuring that employees can go get the education that they need uh, to either skill up uh, or just continue on the path of life. Uh, we also see this, though, with small and medium-sized employers. Uh, you know, one really great example is up in Elkhart County, Indiana, uh, where uh, because employers had felt the need uh, for a, a, a workforce that was trained in the way to meet the jobs that they needed, they created their own organizing coalition uh, that is a community-based uh, coalition called the Higher Education Alliance. Um, and uh, what they do um, is that they are, um, excuse me, it's the Horizon Education Alliance. Uh, I knew that was wrong. Horizon Education Alliance. The Horizon Education Alliance uh, brings together all the employers, as well as community providers, as well as Ivy Tech Community College and Goshen College, uh, to say, how are we better training uh, the adults that are in our community? 
And also, while we're doing that training, that is clearly matched to what the employers need and is leading to that high-quality credential that we talked about earlier, they're also bringing in community providers to address the other many needs and barriers that get in the way of adult learners. Things like transportation and childcare, uh, even scheduling. Uh, you know, and, and so one of their key programs, you know, the employer ha- has worked it out where they said, you know, we can provide a training, we can provide certificates uh, and certifications uh, while we're at work, while our employees are at work on the job floor, they're going to be learning and, and, and earning uh, these kind of credentials. Now, when they go to Ivy Tech to maybe go and pursue that associate's degree uh, or the next credential, we want to make sure that what you learned at that employer counts. And so you don't have to go back through uh, all this education uh, that you have already might have already learned. It, it's a waste of time, and, and no adult uh, wants to waste that time uh, out of their busy life schedule. Uh, and so that is what they've done. By, by coming together and partnering, they said, here is all the learning. Here are the competencies that our folks are getting at what, you know, while employed with us. Here's how it can transfer uh, into and be recognized into the higher education system. So this way is someone is on a continuous path forward uh, to additional education. So in short, we would say, you know, partner before you go and, and, and make your own, uh, your own program. Um, if I can, I, I'd like to, you know, bring up uh, maybe one or two other points on this, if that's okay, Neil. Yeah. And if you could go more into also the local aspect that you you run because I know that that's an important part of what you do at Lumina is kind of identifying these these local communities who've partnered in and, and taken a real interest in those areas. So why don't you uh, get into that a little deeper? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we've seen examples, and I, and I won't name employers here, but we've seen examples where employers have created their own credential, and uh, in order to do it, you know, they'll they'll say to their employees. We offer this, you know, credential on X topic. And if you get X credential, uh, that is going to open up uh, internal doors to promotion here. Uh, and in some cases, they actually charge employees to get it. Or uh, they, they charge uh, potential employees to say, if you want a job here, you should get this credential. The problem is, is that one, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee promotion. As as of course, you know you can't promote everybody uh, who's going through. You only have limited jobs at this upper level. The second part is that that credential doesn't count anywhere else besides at that single employer. And so that adult who has just spent time and money and effort into getting that credential earns it, has it, and then goes and says, well, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the promotion and goes to the employer next door. And that employer says, this means nothing to me. And so that is why the value of partnership um, really, uh, that, that is the value of partnership. And that's what our local, the local partners I get a chance to work with see. Out in Colorado, the, uh, the Denver Education Attainment Network, Dean, has brought together four colleges and universities and their K-12 partner. And their mission right now is to align pathways through all five of these education providers from the K-12 all the way through a four-year degree that map specifically onto four industry areas that are responsive to what they need for transportation logistics and for professional services, right? And so this way, if a student leaves high school uh, and they want to go to Emily Griffith Technical College and then they go over to Metro State, uh, to get that bachelor's degree, they're still on a common pathway where all their learning actually is recognized and count. 
They don't have to retake classes. They don't have to uh, spend limited financial aid dollars on, on taking classes that they might have learned elsewhere. Everything is stacks right into each other and leads to a job in a high demand area. Uh, alternatively, if an adult is uh, going back and taking classes at the community college um, and uh, earns an associate's degree, but also realizes they need a new credential, uh, another certificate uh, or certification in order to get a job in one of you know in advanced manufacturing. That associate's degree is going to be recognized by Emily Griffith Technical College, uh, who can then say, "Great, you already have this. Maybe it's only going to be a matter of a couple courses that you need to take, and you can get that done in six months." rather than having to go through a brand new program. And that's really the power of local-based partnerships coming together uh, to be a neutral convener, to bring all these folks together, uh, all these systems together to clearly map out what it means for the learner. And not necessarily what it means for the education provider or what it means for the employer, but what it really means for that learner to make sure that the region is economically sound. So I want to put you on the spot here, Dakota, in terms of uh, you're, you're someone who's who's seen this from a lot of different angles. You got a big goal to try to, to reach this level of high quality credentials, 60% of people. What are some of the dead end solutions you feel like are out there that that either you, you've you tried in the past, you've seen other organizations or educational institutions try, and just no matter how much time and money you put into it, it's just not going to work. What are some of those dead end solutions? It's a great question. You know, I think some of the dead end solutions are those that uh, it kind of comes back to our definition of high quality, right? Um, the, the the programs that we spring up uh, within the education sector that do not have a, uh, a a connection to a further pathway. That is a clear dead end. Um, also, you know, uh, it's really about taking a competency based approach. So in, in higher education, there's a lot out there right now about, you know, prior learning assessments. And, and it's, it's hard to treat this as a monolith because there are a really wonderful, large, good practices. And we want to meet people where they're at. But uh, a lot of times what's happening is that a, a learner, an adult learner, uh, maybe someone who has never gone to school, or maybe they went to college for a little while, dropped out a long time ago, and it's been 15 years, you know, but, you know, they, they have children and, and, you know, college is fast approaching for their kids and they want to make sure that they can make sure they can send their kid to college. And, and so they need to go back to school. And what we do pretty poorly um, with some of these prior learning assessments is, is it, we make that student advocate and advocate uh, to each individual institution in a different way. And so uh, you can imagine if uh, you're an adult and you hold some kind of credential, you've gone through some kind of education and you bring it to uh, community college A and they say, great, with this, we're going to give you 12 credits. Uh, but they go to community college B and they say, with this, we're going to give you only six. And community college C says, we're going to give it to you for 15. And they don't make any sense. There, 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 it doesn't. There, there's no uniformity to that, and it makes it impossible. These are all just barriers we're creating for that learner, and so we need to get better at talking about competencies and identifying very clearly uh, what competencies are embedded in which learning opportunities, and providing effective and objective ways that allow individuals to demonstrate the mastery of that competency so they don't have to uh, go out and rely on individual advocacy. Um, 
And I think that that's a real opportunity for us, particularly in this space, uh, as we look uh, to get more and more adults um, uh, back enrolled. And uh, the only thing I'll add to that is um, we, we need many, many more. In fact, uh, we need 11.6 million adults uh, to go back and earn a, a, a credential. That's the only way we get to goal 2025. Um, the, the enrollments of the traditional age student, the unencumbered senior who's going off to college uh, are, are declining. And so uh, higher education as an industry uh, is smart uh, to be responding to this competency-based movement because that's what adults want. Adults are asking the very simple question, what is different today than was the last time I thought about going? And so we need to be able to answer that question very clearly in a way that resonates with adults, that respects what they've already done and learned, uh, even if that learning happened in some place that was outside the four walls of a higher education institution. Yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking about the terminology we use when you said, you know, we have to go back to school. You know, going back sounds like regressing, taking time off, stopping what you're doing so that you can go back, spend money and lose all this time to, to try to get something better when the whole idea of education should be to push forward and to, to take something new that, that comes on as it comes through. You're exactly right, Neil. You're exactly right. And that's what our messages are to, to adult students. Come back. Come back. We want you back. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. There are places that are, are, are doing an awful lot to say, let's continue. Uh, let's move you forward. You have goals. We want to help you be part of that goal. You know, I'm, I'm really excited by a new program that was launched uh, up at Wayne State uh, in Detroit, uh, where they said, you know what, we need to change uh, the opportunity for for the folks who we've already kind of didn't do well by the first time. Uh, and so they are offering up to a certain limit debt forgiveness, and just said, if you owe us money. Uh, up to a certain limit, and you can come. Uh, you can, you know, re-enroll and get back on track with what you want to finish, or come and finish your degree. Let's figure out how long it's going to take, and we're going to wipe out some debt to make it come. You know, to to uh, to allow you to have the chance to move forward. Mm. Um, and they finally just responded and said, you know, that makes sense to us. We we need to change the equation. We need to change the value proposition, and we need to do that for individual learners. And we also need to do that for those who are supporting those individuals, like employers. You know, many employers have tuition reimbursement programs that go horribly unutilized um, because they just, you know, folks just look at it and say, well, why would I go back uh, to school right now? However, if they had a partner, if they had a post-secondary partner that said, here's a clear pathway forward uh, and here's how we can best leverage this reimbursement program that you're offering, this benefit that you have offering, you bet adults will uh, absolutely take advantage of that. In Columbus, Indiana, they're doing that. Um, they realized that a lot of individuals at some of their small and mid-sized em uh, employers weren't taking advantage of some of these tuition reimbursement policies. And so when they dug, dug into it, it's because, you know, an adult who's trying to raise a family of four, uh, so even if they wanted uh, to go and pursue that next credential, uh, they might not be able to afford to fork down the $3,000 tuition and fees up front, even if they're going to be reimbursed four months later upon successful completion. And that's just such an easy barrier to mitigate. And so what Ivy Tech Community College uh, and many of these employers have done is execute agreements between them that just says, what we're going to do is delay payment until the end of the term. And then the university, the college, Ivy Tech, will actually just uh, direct bill the employer. So the learner, so long as they pass their course, the only thing that should be hard is learning, right? So if they just do what they need to do, pass that course, they never see a bill. 
And uh, we actually are getting a, a much larger uptake of that benefit that has been previously uh, locked or inaccessible to so many adults. That's great. It's great to hear about those kinds of programs that are there. So we, we titled this this episode Work Minus Separation. Why don't you close us off just giving a little summary of, of what that means to you and what, what does a world look like without that kind of separation? The world without the separation looks like employers and education providers and community organizations at the same table sharing the same challenges. The fact is, is we need many, many more places to ask themselves a very simple question, which is, what more can we be doing together that we can't do alone? Everyone is, uh, you know, right now we, we, we live in the age of the city and um, the challenges that we face as a nation are local challenges. Uh, and we need local responses and local solutions to those challenges. The best way to do that is there's not one single organization in a community or in a state or even at the federal agent, uh, federal level who can respond to the very complex challenges uh, that people are facing today. Everyone has a part to play. So, uh, you know, for me, uh, we have to eliminate the separation, the siloing of employers, of higher education providers, of community organizations that are providing, uh, you know, great services uh, and get them at the same table, get them to show up and listen uh, together and expect the same of each other uh, and to start partnering. Uh, you know, the fact is, is everyone's going to need to change a little bit. Everyone needs to roll up their sleeves, uh, but we can do an awful lot more together than we can uh, alone. Sounds great. Uh, Dakota, where can we go to stay in touch with, with you and what Lumen is doing? Yeah, you can find out uh, about our work, especially some of the uh, talent hubs uh, that are designated communities that are doing this cross-sector work uh, at a really exemplary level uh, at luminafoundation.org. Um, and we really encourage you to come out and check us out. All right. Sounds great. Dakota, thanks so much for being on the show and all the best to you as you continue on your goal. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs>